Anagion Mega. Two Greek words translated mean upper room. Upper room applies to a very specific place in the New Testament, and it turns out it is quite a place. This sermon is eh, primarily conjecture, I'll tell you. Creative storytelling, a possible understanding of events. You see, I, I know some Bible, and I know some church history, and I know some church tradition, and tradition is much less reliable than the other two, but I am focusing primarily on it as I take a look at the upper room this morning. Combining what little I might know about the Bible story, the actual history, and the accepted tradition, I present this scenario to you today. Mary was a widow. Now this isn't Mary the mother of Jesus or Mary Magdalene. This is an entirely different Mary and she's a widow. All of her children are grown and out of the house except for her youngest son, a teenager named John Mark. Mary is a woman of means and her home is spacious and is considered to be one of the choicest in the walled city of Jerusalem. But it is cavernous for just the two residents who live there. Now Mary had some political influence in the city because influence comes with wealth and status. Not enough based on the events that will unfold to save the revolutionary, but enough to keep her family safe and her son's friends protected. John Mark, let's just call him Mark from now on, meets up with Jesus when Jesus comes to Jerusalem in what will be the last week of Jesus' life. He follows Jesus everywhere he goes. Who knows, he may have been there in Bethany when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, which was sort of the big kickoff to the last days. He listens to Jesus as Jesus speaks in the temple area. He is fascinated as Jesus argues with the religious leaders day after day. He sees Jesus heal people. He watches Jesus interact with the people around him. And he becomes convinced that Jesus is the real deal. He hangs out with Jesus and with Jesus' followers every single day and makes himself known to them. He weasels his way into their inner circle, if you will. Somehow this young man, this teenager, finds himself right in the middle of this messianic movement that is unfolding in the city of Jerusalem on this very particular week. And as the week moves along, it becomes apparent that Jesus wants to do something. Jesus wants to celebrate a pre-Passover dinner in the city. To this point, Jesus and his followers have been tracking back and forth across the Kidron Valley and staying with friends on top of the hill at night. This is being done because it isn't safe in the city after dark for one who has a target on his back. But there seems to be a desire on Jesus' part for this special meal celebrating Passover to take place in the holy city. Well, Mark thinks about it a bit. 
And he lets it be known that his mother owns a big house. And there are lots of rooms, plenty spacious enough to hold Jesus and his closest friends. Mark tells them that his mom has some political influence and that she should be safe in her home. Jesus likes the idea, and the plan is set in motion for a Thursday night dinner at Mark's mom's house in the upstairs dining area on a guy on Mega in the upper room. Mark checks with his mom, and she agrees to allow him and his friends to have a meal on Thursday. On Thursday, Mary makes sure that there is plenty of food and folks to help serve. She meets with Jesus as he arrives and quickly understands what her son sees in him. She may or may not have known much about him before now, but she has certainly heard the rumblings through the week as this young man has taken Jerusalem by storm and is gathering quite an opposition party to the status quo. Now, truth be told, Mary might be considered part of the status quo, but she is so intrigued by Jesus, and she so loves her son that she supports him in his desire to follow Jesus. Mary stays close to the room where the dinner is happening, making sure that there is enough food and that everyone is comfortable. She may even have been in the room when Jesus washed his disciples' feet and predicted his death and pointed to his betrayer. She certainly heard them all singing as they left her house and worked their way down to the Garden of Gethsemane on the other side of the Kidron Valley. Mark was with them. Mary's very comfortable that her son was with Jesus. She may not have been a believer, but she was certainly an ally. She was shaken, though, when Mark showed up at home a few hours later, physically hurt, his clothes torn, his face bloodied, his heart aching. He told her about the arrest and the attack by the police. He told her he tried to intervene but was beaten and had to flee for his life. He told her about the fear that enveloped the disciples as Jesus was taken away. Mary, and this is a brave move, suggests to John that he invite Jesus' closest followers to stay at their house where they would be safe over the next few days. While she might not be able to intercede on behalf of Jesus, her political and social pull in the community might protect his vulnerable followers. Several of the disciples were in her home, cowering as Jesus was crucified. Others would come shortly thereafter, scared for their lives. Mary kept the doors locked and made sure that the disciples had what they needed in their darkest hours. Mary assured them that they would be safe in her home. It was in her house that Saturday conversations took place about what to do now, about what to do next, about how unfair the world is, about how they would ever survive this. There were tears and fears and prayers. 
And it was from Mary's house that the women with their ointments and spices went to the tomb on Sunday. It was to her house that the women returned with the fantastic story of the empty tomb. It was through her front door that Jesus appeared as the risen Lord. It was in her living room where Thomas was encouraged to touch his hand and his side. It was in that upper room that the disciples continued to gather to pray, to care for each other, to hang out. It was a place of solace and protection in the midst of the worst of storms. One day, about 50 days after the resurrection, they were all hanging out together in the upper room where they had eaten the Last Supper together. Almost everybody was there. Peter was there, and James was there, and John was there. There were assorted Marys, a Salome or two, Mark and his mother. They were telling stories. They were singing songs. They were praying. They were together. When all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and the church was born. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Very seldom is it this late in the year, but Easter was so late. Today is Pentecost Sunday, so happy birthday, church. We know that the upper room was used at least one more time after the day of Pentecost. You know the story when John and Peter are thrown in prison and the disciples gather to pray for them. That's in the upper room. The Lord releases them from prison. And they return to the upper room because they know that's where everybody will be praying for them. The servant girl, Rhoda, responds to Peter's knock on the door by telling him that he can't possibly be Peter because Peter's in jail and they're praying for Peter's release. It's one of the great stories of the New Testament. It's on a guy on mega, this upper room. What do you think it is about this space that's so special? So many amazing things have happened. Is it where it is? Is it the physical location of the room? Is it how it's built, the construction, the, the way the carpenters put it together? Is it some special blessing that has rested upon it? I don't think so. I think it's just a big old room. You know when it isn't being used by Jesus and his disciples, it's just a room. Oh, it's big. A place for celebrations, a place to gather, a place for receptions, a place to dance, a place to hang out. But what makes it so special in the history of the early church, what makes it so blessed is the fact that there was this woman named Mary who was willing to let God use it. That's it. She was willing to let God use the space. Now, I'm sure it was a really nice room, but it was just space until God showed up. And here's the thing I think I understand about God and the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not about schedules and rituals and patterns It is about being open and available to be used, to serve, to make a difference. 
I am guessing that quite often the Holy Spirit uses us because we are available and we are not even aware of being used until we look back at what has happened. The Holy Spirit works in us and guides us and allows us to serve as we make ourselves available and open ourselves up to the Spirit's leading. The upper room. What a history. And it all began with this one woman saying yes. Let's learn from Mary. Amen.